When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Brian Henderson with Barca Talk. Listeners like you make up 90% of our funding, mostly through a monthly membership on Patreon. With more members, the podcast will get even better and will bring in more listeners, which will lead to more members until we have so many listeners that we can attract advertisers to fund the show instead of asking for your support. But we're not there yet. We have to meet a minimum budget goal if we're to continue the show after this season. So support the show now, either with a Patreon membership or a one-time donation. There's a link in the show notes to our support page. Thanks. Today on Barca Talk, a loss for FC Barcelona at the hands of Atletico Madrid in the Saudi Arabian edition of the Spanish Super Cup means the team will have a few extra days of rest before resuming La Liga next weekend against Granada. Hello and welcome to Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson, your host in Buffalo, New York. And joining me from Madrid is your co-host and tactical analyst, Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. How are we doing, buddy? Fine, I guess. <laughs> we, we're recording right after the the loss in the Spanish Super Cup of Barcelona to Atletico Madrid, 3-2. to two. And actually, I have to say, I'm uh, surprisingly okay with it. Yeah, I mean, I was explaining to my coworker what what was going on because he was like, "Oh, Barcelona's playing tonight against Atletico. Wait, where in Saudi Arabia? What's going on here?" <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny because I was working during the match and I was getting all the alerts, and I w- it was bonkers because it looked like there was a lot of disallowed goals. But again, yeah. like we were talking before, I mean, grand opening, grand closing, right? Like just arriving to Saudi Arabia, coming right back. Yeah, it d- didn't even last that long. Yeah, it didn't. I mean, it's it's been all the talk this week about this destination because, again, everyone is in favor here in Spain for the most part of the format, like we talked about with the new four teams. But right. obviously the destination, I was watching partly last night the Valencia-Real Madrid game. And it's just weird because it just has no ambiance. You know, it doesn't have that, you know, the, the, the all the supporters that are there. And I know it's important to expand the game and so forth. But at the same time, there was a lot of empty seats, man. Oh, yes, definitely a lot of empty seats. And again, if you think about it as a marketing tool, it's clever, right? Expand it to four teams to get the four biggest Spanish teams, take them somewhere else to some, you know, other locale where the league is trying to gain some market share, some TV share. Great. It's going to look like a preseason friendly. And it did. Mm -hmm. You know, you do the Super Cup in Spain before the season as it's traditionally been. And there's already just more excitement because you got the local fans and the local fans will always get more excited than foreign fans for sure i mean with all the chants singing i mean you know when i was watching the highlights before recording you know yeah there was some cheering and so forth but again just the lead up of the match it's almost as they're playing in a closed door stadium because people are just in awe of what what they're watching and also they're most of them probably aren't supporters of the team i mean they're just there to watch really great football and so they don't know how to react either way and again i think it just takes away from the ambiance like I said, I'm a really big fan of this new format. I just really wish they would do it in the beginning of the season because it would really take off for La Liga leading up to the first week of the season. Exactly. And we're going to get into some more detail about the game itself coming up. But first, let's talk just a little bit of transfer news. Not that there's anything to report. And I guess that is the thing to report, which is that 
apart from Carlos Alenia's move to Real Betis, which we discussed in an earlier episode, uh, there's been no more big news either in or out as far as transfers go. So that makes me think, you know, aren't there maybe some players we should try to bring in? I mean, we have lost one now. Wouldn't we want to try and bring someone in? Are there any positions that are in need, like maybe a left winger, someone in, to fill in at left wing? Do you have anyone in mind for that? Well, first, I just want to close up with Alenia. He had a press conference this week, and he just had some comments, what I thought was really telling about mostly Valverde's coaching style. And he said he had you know playing time against Athletic Bilbao, was frozen out, he said. He said I was frozen out. And Valverde didn't give me an explanation. To yeah. me, that is toxic and I hate that hearing that because that to me is just not leading in a good way you know like have the open communication maybe tell Elena look I prefer these other players you're going to have to wait and xyz you know but the fact that Valverde didn't tell him for about 60 days or so of why he wasn't getting playing time to me is a tragedy because I you know I really want to see Elena get playing time especially with the senior team now with players I really want, I only have one name for you, Brian. Hmm. Turan. Okay. <laughs> well, you're in luck. You're, you're in such luck because, as it turns out, little known fact, Arda Turan, even though he hasn't played for Barcelona in some time, he's been on loan this whole time. He's ah. not been off the books. And he, uh, strictly speaking, is now back from loan. He could be called. I mean, this is, again, another indictment of the board with their signings. You know, I tweeted out a picture when I heard this news that Turan could come back. Of the Spider-Man gif, you know, where they're both pointing at each other. It's like, you, you're Spider-Man, I'm Spider-Man, I'm Vidal, I'm Turan, you know, it's like the same player, right? But seriously, going back to like my wish list of, you know, transfers or anything, again, I mainly want to keep the squad, like I want to keep Todibo. You know, I saw yeah. a picture that one of our listeners, TJ, tweeted out with, it was Fatih, Dejong, and Todibo juggling together. And man, it just put a smile to my face. I was just like, this is what I want to see. And people just started commenting, you know, don't sell Tony Bo, don't sell Tony Bo. And again, I just want to keep him. And again, maybe we can add a winger, but maybe another midfielder. But again, I don't want a long-term loan that we have to pay for two, three years. You know, I'd rather just kind of bite the bullet now, reset, regroup with hopefully a new coach and then have a new transfer policy in the, in the summertime. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. And you bring up Todibo, and that's uh, that's going to be an interesting one because there are a lot of rumblings of various clubs, mostly Italian ones, uh, looking at Todibo. So there is a chance that the, the club could just let him go, which I think would be disastrous, a really disastrous move. I want to see more of him, you know, and what right. I have seen with him, I've been really impressed with. And to me, you know, when I, when I scout young players and look at this, when I'm just kind of looking at the team of who would I like to keep – he has something, I can't put my finger on it, but he just has something that I want to keep seeing, you know? He has that tenacity, he has that kind of flair, and also he just looks like a Barca player, you know? He just knows how to move around and he knows what to do. And to me, that's really invaluable, especially since he didn't grow up through our youth academy, you know? And so I really want to see him develop in our system because I think he's going to be a great player. I think he's going to be a world-class player in the future. And his, I mean, if he goes to Inter Milan, I think it's a steal for Inter Milan because he automatically will become a st- in the starting 11. 
you know, like you said, we want to see more playing time. I would have loved, loved, loved this season so far for him to come as the closer, right, in midfield yeah. for Busquets as the central pivot or to help DeJong to finish games off. I think that would have been really strong for us because he would have given us that tenacity and he would have given us that ability to win the ball back and to play really sound defense. I mean, this is just what I've seen so far. Now, you know, I could be wrong, right? But the same thing is that I want to see more of him. And I get really excited when I see video clips of him. And that doesn't happen very often, right? And again, there's just something he has. And I just want to see him play and get that time because I think that'll that enthusiasm will permeate through the team. Right. And bringing it back to Elena, you know, the reason he left was because he wanted to leave because he wasn't getting playing time. So what are the chances that, you know, if offers are coming in for Todibo from other clubs that he might make a similar decision? And again, we don't understand why Valverde doesn't want to play him more. We don't understand why he didn't want to play Alenia more. But if he comes to a similar decision, then then you're essentially just escorting all of this great young talent out the door. So, Brian, I'm reading this book called Zonal Marking, and it's about oh. kind of the 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 progression of uh, attacking football and so forth through 1992 onwards right now. And it's interesting. The chapter I'm in right now is Johan Cruyff versus Louis van Gaal. And it was interesting to read kind of how they man managed, you know, and I see a lot of Valverde in Cruyff where he just depends on the superstar so much where he doesn't really want to grow the youth, you know, and Cruyff was like this. He really loved to have the superstars and he wanted individualistic talent on the field to make those great plays when they had to. But he also was not concerned of developing the youth in the starting 11. Now, obviously, the academy is a different thing. I'm just talking in the in the starting team. And again, Valverde is the same way. I think, you know, he knows he has such a short term career with FC Barcelona that he does not care for the success or the future of FC Barcelona and their youth players. So that being said, you know, obviously, I think Alenia had to make this move to go to Betis because I think ultimately it's going to help him in his career. But also he has to look out for himself and he has given Barcelona many chances to promote him, to give him playing time. But for some reason, Valverde doesn't want to use him because, you know, he's selfish as well and he wants to succeed with the superstar players that he believes in. Yeah. And we have this whole idea, this and maybe it's idealistic, maybe it's even naive but we have this idea of the club and the way that uh, that things should happen, right? We should get players at a fairly young age. And I think part of this is because of players like Messi and Iniesta and Xavi and, and others, Piquet, Busquets, you know, all of these guys entered the academy young, came up through the ranks, through Barca B, all the way to the first team, and they were fostered all the way through like that. And I think that we have this idea that it's supposed to happen that way, or at least that's our preferred way. And we understand that sometimes you have to bring in major talent from somewhere else. You have to bring in a Luis Suarez. You have to bring in a David Villa to stay competitive at this level. Behind that is this, this kind of this factory idea, right? The factory of dreams and great players and all this sort of stuff that breaks down when you have a manager who is not committed to the club. That's part of that whole idea that having a manager who is really a Kool-Aid, Mm-hmm. is part of it like that and then you get back to thinking about Pep Guardiola right sure. and Cruyff before him they really believed in the club they were a part of the club and I mean, we the- don't have that now in the last episode in Max's segment he was talking about Garcia Pimienta the BT manager uh, making sort of 
a similar argument that it's not just about developing good players, but also about developing managers. I mean, do you have any idea how many coaches are in the youth ranks? A lot. Yeah. And what is their future? Where are sure. they going to go? Again, that's why it starts with the board, right? The board has to mandate this and it trickles down. So when they pick a manager, it should be in the in their contract that they have to be able to implement youth players because that's ultimately how it's going to happen. And there's just so many games, Brian, and so many minutes. That's why I really want to see these players get that time because, you know, Suarez doesn't have to play every match 90 minutes, you know, at this point. He's giving us the goal output, you know, and I understand that. But at the same time, is he going to give this to us in April right. and in March when we need back pressing and all the other things that come with it? And so, again, like you said, we have this vision of what we want to see, but we know it's there. And that's the problem. You know, when you when you reap all that benefit, you get 10 years of excellence, you know, yeah. and that to me is worth that risk. You know, that's why you develop these players is because what happened in the 2010 era, you know, was the best that could have happened. And it doesn't take that much to find two players, three players through that 10-year season. Now, we were lucky to hit so many, but if we hit two or three, we're good. We're good because that just promotes inside. People want to play for us when they're young, and that's just a snowball effect going forward. All right, well, let's get into this loss in the Spanish Super Cup. 3-2, all the goals happening in the second half. And, you know, I was watching this knowing that you were not able to watch it live because you had to work. And at halftime, I thought, well, I don't know what we're going to say. I mean, (laughs) it was, (laughs) I thought, well, this will be an interesting experiment at least. You know, I'm going to describe some things to you and you're going to give me your reaction having not seen it. And in the first half especially, it was very much a Super Cup match, right? Neither side played with much pace. It was somewhere between a league match and a friendly And it just goes to show you can take the Super Cup out of preseason, but you can't take the preseason out of the Super Cup. But that was the first half. Apparently, they were both, both sides, Atletico and Barca, saving it all for the second half. At the second half, Koke subbed in at the very top, and in the first minute, he scored, putting Atletico ahead 1-0. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I was listening to Koke speak and so forth. Let me just, I'm just, your overall impression. What's your overall impression of Koke? He seems like an all right guy. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, what you know, as a as a player, do you know anything about him? Do you ever? I know he, he made an well, impact he, when he came into the game, but I mean, what is your overall impression of him? As a, does he scare you as a midfielder? He always strikes me as like just a slightly above average, very good player for Atletico because he will work hard, he'll run hard, he's physical, he can put good balls in. He's not a great dribbler necessarily, but he passes well, and his his crosses, his service are good and his free kicks are often well taken and he seems like a hard worker. Yeah, I mean, I the thing is, you know, here in Spain they kind of always ask the question of, you know, how good is he because he mm-hmm. kind of underperforms in big games and overperforms in small games, you know? So you <laughs> kind of get this bad balance, you know? And uh so I was just curious of your of your um your analysis on him. But yeah, I mean, again, when I was watching the highlights here, it's funny because the first half didn't have any highlights. No. <laughs> there was no highlights. But then it came right off halftime. Maybe it's the time change, you know, because there is a difference of the time change. Maybe that had something to do with it. Because again, Brian, it started eight o'clock 
span time and maybe it had something to do with just coming into Saudi Arabia late and so forth and then all of a sudden the second half both teams both woke up yeah and there was the uh, the issue of the bus getting lost but that was in training the day before but still <laughs> the, apparently the Barcelona team bus driver got lost and made the team late for the uh, news conference and training session by a few minutes but so, yeah it just seems like the whole thing kind of just didn't feel right you know yeah do you think the bus driver was like uh Big Ben uh, <laughs> he's like parliament big ben i just yeah. kept going around the roundabout yeah or, is that a european vacation reference yes, yes got it yes yeah where he couldn't get out of the roundabout he just kept yeah. going all day all night so it's a bad one you know i'm hoping that in the future this will be a better presentation because i i assume it's going to be in saudi arabia again in the future but again brian what was your main takeaway let's take away the first half was it just a matter of Barcelona just lacking energy or was it just that it was just seemed like a friendly and that's it well they both lacked energy in the first half Atletico just turned it on quicker in the second half than Barcelona did and they're actually in the first half there was a eight to nine minute stretch where it really seemed like Barcelona were going to score I remember that and they didn't break through they were making a lot of chances they kept the ball in Atletico's half they were they were pushing pretty well and they didn't score but Aside from those eight, nine minutes, it was uh, it was very low energy on both sides. Atletico turned it on faster in the first in the beginning of the second half. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, Simeone's speech was a little bit more fiery than Valverde's. And you would think you know, maybe. They, yeah. And probably they just like, let's just take this, you know, kind of thing where they're just like, let's just go for it. And maybe that was the kind of the pep talk. But uh, I mean, how was you know, you said Atletico came out to score and I saw that Messi answered back quickly. He did. And, you know, a couple of things here um, that I wanted to tell you about, because we've talked about how Barcelona haven't been able to handle pressure very well this season, either home or away, but mostly away. And in a neutral location like Saudi Arabia, it's almost like away for both of them, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, lucky for us in this one, to some degree, Atletico did not really put any pressure on, but it was also a very classic Atletico-style game. Very defensive, very quick on the counters, a strong 4-4-2. There were times later on, towards the end of the game, when Barca's defense was just wide, wide open, and they just ran right through us. So it made it that much easier. But Messi's response to the first goal was was pretty incredible. It was very him in a lot of ways, because he essentially just bulldozed mm-hmm. through two defenders in the box to get the shot and then he scored it with his right foot and that was just five minutes after Atletico went ahead in the 50th minute I saw this goal and it's funny because that's the perfect analogy he just bulldozed right also just because of his leverage you know because he's small he can just kind of get through that you know I think if he was taller then maybe he wouldn't have won, uh, won possession on that but then the other thing too is he finished with the right again on the same side of Oblak that he scored last time against Atletico so a good a good answer by Messi, but again, like you said, he just kind of like <laughs> used his knees and his legs to bulldoze everyone, keep possession, just one time it from from the top of the box. Yeah, and like we talk about all Messi's skills, which are are many, uh, his incredible touch, his incredible passing accuracy, his ability to move around the ball, but also his ability to keep the ball in front of him even when he has defenders trying to tackle it away definitely he has the keep away skill that is highly desired right yeah uh you know when he is playing against especially taller people he can always keep the ball away from them use his leverage his back but in this case it was just kind of he like you said he just wanted the ball more than the defenders 
pushed his way through and just cleared it, and it was a really nice finish. Good answer by Barca, especially coming back that quick. You know, you're familiar with the the phrase athletic stance, mm-hmm. right? And that usually means your your feet are part, mm-hmm. at least a little bit, right? That's a very athletic stance to be in. I swear, Messi is better with his feet together <laughs> than a lot of guys are with their feet apart. You know, he, this I think this goes to the savant part, right? That he his balance is just outrageous. And also since he is thinking so far ahead of what he's going to do, that he can just react to where the ball is going to go. Like he's already equated if he's going to keep the ball or if he's going to lose the ball, if it's going to be on his left foot or his right foot. So he's kind of already equated. I, I just think that's how he thinks that quick. And especially because you see he wins the ball and without hesitation hits it with a right. Yeah. You know, many players, many, many players will want to do one extra touch to control it more than hit it. But he saw the opportunity, especially probably Oblak was a, a second behind as well, not expecting that. And he does it and then gets the goal. Yeah, and it's not easy to beat Oblak. For sure. I mean, he's having another spectacular season this season. And definitely the top, you know, him and Ter Stegen are the top two goalkeepers in La Liga and also in Europe. Now, Griezmann did have two good chances that were both denied by Oblak. But he did finally get one when he headed in the second ball off a shot that Oblak saved at first that uh, Suarez had, had put in. Oblak deflected it, but then Griezmann was there to pick it up and had that one in for the go-ahead goal at that point. That was the 63rd-minute goal. Griezmann hustling, right? Yeah. My mom would be super happy about this. You know, I saw he also had a good chip opportunity that went awry, and also he had another one that where Oblak kind of one-handed as well. So I have no qualms with Griezmann. I think he has been exactly what I thought he was going to be. Maybe I would have loved to see him being instead of Suarez, but I mean, he's so active, Brian. I mean, especially on that goal for the header, he's in the right space. He's reading the play and he's always moving. I mean, what else do you want? You know, and I don't understand all these rumors where people want to bring like other players uh, from other teams to replace Suarez when we already have Griezmann. But again, Griezmann just going around again, playing the same style he does. And again, really just really good job on the cleanup duty on that second goal. Yeah, and like so far, I would say I haven't seen Griezmann as the finisher that Suarez is, mm-hmm. but I agree that he's there, that he should be in the Suarez position. He's a very different kind of player. He brings a different set of skills, but they are great skills, and he works really hard. He is coming back to defend. He's doing all of this work, and he's helping set up. And, you know, one thing you lose with him is that that vicious finish, mm-hmm. right, or that really physical presence in the box, but you get other things. I mean, David Villa wasn't like that, and he scored a ton because yeah. he was set up well. Exactly, because he knew the spaces, right? And he played – he knew how to have Messi and, you know, Pedro, exactly, you know, to use those spaces where he was able to anticipate and find those openings. To And he was such a marksmanship that he could just hit him, you know? But also, you know, with Griezmann, he's going to have a lot of opportunities. Griezmann is not the weak link of this trio no. <laughs> by any means, you know? For me, I know that Suarez is scoring a lot of goals, but it, to me, it's still Suarez. But again, he's also providing a lot of assists, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's also just, you know, he runs, Brian. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing for me. Like, I just that is a, a thing that you just take for granted, you know, that he can actually just run up and down because of his age and his and the minutes that he has. Again, Griezmann's a World Cup winner, a European champion, you know. And he has all these accolades. So it's the the limelight. He doesn't have to shy away. He's been at that line. And it's, you know, for me, I love watching him play. I want to see him play. And it just discourages me more when he gets subbed off. Yeah, totally. Then things got, I'll say, interesting. 
<laughs> uh, Neto had to, Neto took a yellow card and gave up a penalty when Atletico's counter got the better of Barcelona's defense, which had been looking pretty shabby in the minutes leading up to it. Morata ultimately scored the penalty kick, and then it was level at two goals apiece. And this was just a total breakdown. This is like one of the things where Neto just doesn't have the experience or that he didn't anticipate that the ball was going to come that fast to him. Because honestly, I mean, I know we're playing quarterback here, you know, Monday morning quarterback on this situation. But when I saw he could have just stood up to that, you know, instead of trying to take the player out. But again, as we always talk about, Brian, players now, their first instinct is to tackle. You know, it's like shoot first, you know, and ask questions later type of thing, yeah. you know. <laughs> so in this situation, you know, he got beat really bad. I mean, the pace of the ball and also – but. If we go backwards a little bit, it really just starts with the defense and our discipline again. And, and, you know, knowing that Atletico is going to counter, we cannot take so many chances with our fullbacks, you know. And Sergio Roberto was caught off a couple times. And also just the middle just looked really flimsy, you know, where all those gaps were being exposed. And again, it goes back to the same idea, Brian, as always with Busquets, just not having that partnership with the midfield. We lose the ball. All of a sudden it's a counter over the top. It's a 1v1 penalty. And now it's tied. Yeah, and one thing about the strategy, and they've been playing this way for a while, but it just became really clear to me when I was watching this game, is that Barcelona's strategy tends to really focus on getting the ball forward as quickly as possible. And in this game, mostly sending it down the wings, it was kind of like 60-40 going down the middle, maybe 40% of the time. But they'll send it out to Sergio Roberto, they'll send it out to Jordi Alba, but there's really nothing, there's nothing on once it gets there. Our midfield is kind of empty and bypassed mm -hmm. a lot of yeah, times. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And the thing, too, is like I would, you know, if I was Atletico, I would play over the top, too, because I would just try to make PK and MTT just chase and chase and chase. And that's what a lot of teams are doing as well, because they know that, you know, PK doesn't have the legs like he used to. You know, MTT is basically coming off of injury. He's not a, a full on starter. So all of a sudden, just getting used to those long balls, those are really difficult to defend because of the bounces they can have the way the forwards can anticipate those balls coming from the top. And again, this is how I would attack our center backs. I would just keep launching through balls and over the top balls through the middle because you never know if you're going to get a penalty or you're just going to beat the, the center backs. One of you want to get a shot off. And that's happened a couple of times this season. So, you know, this goes back to our lack of midfield and possession that we are keeping with attacking. And then also just the gaps that we're having between the midfield and the defense. Yeah, and another thing that bothers me with Valverde is his substitutions and how late he'll start putting substitutes in. His first substitution was in the 85th minute of this game when he put Rakitic on for Busquets. And on the following play, Atletico just ran through Barcelona's defense wide open, got through on goal, and Correa took the shot. Neto came off his line and he did get his hands to it, but then it just popped up and into goal. I've told you about this, about this substitution, you know, as a, when I used to get subbed with this type of amount of time, I mean, what can you do? You can't do anything, you know, unless you're Usain Bolt and you just do long balls. You know, that's the only thing you can do. If you really want Rakitic to help or do something, you have to put him at least the 80th or 75th to really make an impact because it just takes a while. He's not a forward. He's a midfielder and it just takes some time to get into the game. Again, like you said, he comes in and immediately on the counter because there's gaps. Sergio Roberto's pressing high. All of a sudden, Neto comes up and he made the save, but it just wasn't good enough. And it got, uh, he, you know, Correa had enough power on the ball to get that through again. These are just little microcosms, Brian, that we've seen the whole season, you know, right. just, you know, lack of energy, bad possession, 
disoriented midfield with defense, you know, lack of discipline, just all these things that are going to continue to haunt us this season if we don't tighten them up. Because again, imagine we we play a Liverpool or something, they're going to eat us alive. You know, any Premier League team is really going to give us troubles because of their directness and over the top. Yeah, and if you look at the scoreline, you might think, oh, this was an uncharacteristic game from Barcelona. But we've been watching every game this season, and we can tell you that it is not. This is perfectly characteristic of what we've been seeing this year and the year before and the year before that, and it's only moving further in this direction. It's just that the scoreline reflected it more in this game than it has in other games, but it's it's been there this whole time. Exactly. I'm just looking at the sub here, you know, putting Fatih at the 88th. Right. Why? <laughs> Why? I mean, it is, you know, it's it's you know, you kind of have to think of it as cooking. Right. It's like, oh, I'm just going to put a little dash of salt at the very end of the meal as opposed to tasting it throughout and trying to make it better. You know, it's like, what is Fatih going to do in two minutes? You know, I mean, you wish that he can do something play make. But again, it's this idea of just throwing stuff at the wall with having no idea of how it's going to fit. You know, if you really think that Fatih's going to make a difference, everyone that's played knows that you need more than three minutes to get into the game. I mean, it's just, that's just how it goes. And giving 10 is a, a ideal for a forward because they're just going straight and fast and they can get into the game much faster than a Rakitic or a midfielder, for example. So what is Fatih going to do with two minutes? I mean, right. really, what, I mean, he's just going to, Basically, run around, break a sweat, and then come off the field, essentially. Yeah, nice little workout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just get your heart rate up, you know, get out there. I mean, to bring is... it all the way back around to what we first started talking about on this episode, Alenia, the reason that players don't get minutes under Valverde is that he doesn't have an idea for his bench. I think if he had it his way, he wouldn't make any substitutions because I think he can really only imagine 11 guys. It's like he doesn't have any ideas for the other seven guys sitting on the bench. He's not I mean, strategic with his substitutions. The, his substitutions don't have a particular role or purpose unless it's Vidal. This this goes back to the, you know this idea with the coach. You know I, this is one of the many things that just irk me so much is there's no vision for the team. You know if you think of all the great coaches in any sport, it's not only that they were tactically good or they could man manage but it was also the you know maybe the way they were implementing players on the bench right because you really need to have everyone focused and on the same page and Valverde just doesn't do that well especially you know for example let's say he put Rakitic at the 75th minute do we get a better turnout in midfield I don't know but at least you avoid these questions that we're asking. It's like, why you put him in the 88th? You know, right. as long as you put him in the 75th and maybe Rakitic doesn't perform, then we say, look, he had 15, 20 minutes to try to do something. He didn't do something, right? But to say two minutes, you're maybe going to touch the ball once, twice. Is yeah. that? It's a, it's a quandary, Brian. It's a quandary. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. It is, it is quite the quandary. Well... So now we're left with a weekend off, essentially. Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid are going to have their own little local skirmish in a foreign country. Meanwhile, the Barcelona squad will be back. I'm assuming resting. I imagine Valverde is going to give them all four days off now. So is this good or bad for us? Normally, if we had... You know, the vision, the team and the coach that I was you know, hoping for, I would say it's good because then we get the rest. But honestly, Brian, I'm kind of worried that... We're still on vacation mode. Yeah. And 
this is not going to help for the week because, again, I think, you know, going to Arabia, like you said, it has that preseason feel and it still feels that we're on holiday, you know. And that kind of scares me because, you know, who's not going to be on holiday and who's going to be fighting for this is Granada. And I don't know if we're, you know, I don't know if we're going to be up for that street fight, you know. On paper, it should help us because we're getting some rest. But again, the way Valverde continues to not get this team prepared after long, you know, hauls or long uh, time away from the from the field. Again, it's just going to be a, a slow start that I believe again. And I could just see us losing the Granada, actually, because of the slow start and the lethargy ambiance of this team. You know, uh, does anyone feel like they're going to fight if Granada scores first? I mean, you know, as long as we have Vidal, which he'll start. Right. I mean, I mean, keep in mind that they lost the last time they played Granada, but that was on the road in Granada. And now they're going to be at home in the Camp Nou. Yeah, the, that's the only saving grace I would say is that it's at home. So obviously we tend to perform better. But again, Brian, just with the week off, you just can't take Granada lightly, which is really sad to say, you know, now with the kind of turn of events and also with our recent run of play, you know, it could be a toss up. But again, it just really depends, you know, start time. Who's starting? Are we still on holiday? Yeah. I mean, it it will be a Sunday 9 o'clock match, so it could be worse. It will be at home. Granada is in 10th place in the league right now. We'll, you know, we'll certainly scout them a little bit more next week. But, yeah, they're, they're not to be taken lightly. For sure. And plus, since they've won, they're going to have that confidence going forward, you know, because this Barcelona team does not scare anyone. Oh. <laughs> Dark. Oh, you're right, though. Barca Talk is a production of Sounded Media, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, produced by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Two Point Go. Until next time, Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special mom in your life. And what better way than with the Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets that are perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their advanced eye care duo brightens, awakens, and firms the skin around your eyes, while the golden glow body trio nourishes and smooths the skin all over. Both sets are packaged in giftable boxes. They're so beautiful you can skip the wrapping. And the best part? For a limited time, you can save up to $46 on Osea's sets. Plus, get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. This Mother's Day, get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. Go to OseaMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off site-wide.